Chapter thirty six and Epilogue of Paul the Dauntless. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Leeson. Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews. Chapter thirty six Mightier than the Sword. The sharp rattle of armor fell upon the ears of Paul when he awoke next morning. Looking up, he saw the Roman soldier who was to guard him. The spring sunlight coming through the doorway glinted on the guard's crested brazen helmet and on the breastplate and greaves, while the short broadsword with which the victories of Rome were won hung from a belt bound around the soldier's tunic. As at Caesarea, so in Rome, Paul was always to be guarded by a soldier. He was free, however, to live in his own hired house, though at every moment Paul was reminded by the clink of the chain on his wrist that he was a prisoner. He awoke for the first time in the city of which he had dreamed for years, heard the hum of its busy streets, and, as he went out into the sunshine, saw the palace upon the hill from which the world was ruled. He went out to look at Rome that first day, perhaps to choose a house in which he would live. If so, he probably passed the theatre of Marcellus and crossed the bridge of Fabricius, under which the sullen yellow Tiber ran, full of the rains of early spring. The middle of the bridge rested on an island. Paul would see that many who passed and met him as he crossed Fabricius's bridge were of his own race. Over the river he found the Jewish quarter. He discovered his old friends Priscilla the Roman with her Jewish husband Aquila, possibly in the Jewish quarter, but more probably on the Aventine Hill, carrying on there and his handicraft as tent-makers. Paul then rented his house possibly near that of his friends. Three days later he sent word to the leading Jews saying he would like to talk with them. They came to him and sat on the floor together, waiting for him to speak, with the wondering soldier listening, although he could understand little enough of what was going on. Probably Aristarchus was there and Luke who recorded what he heard. Paul wished the men of his own race to know why he was a prisoner in Rome. Brothers, he began, although I have done nothing against our people or our ancestral customs, I was handed over to the Romans as a prisoner from Jerusalem. They meant to release me after examination, as I was innocent of any crime that deserved death. But the Jews objected, and so I was obliged to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own nation. This is my reason for asking to see you and have a word with you. Then he lifted up his hand and shook the chain that dangled from his wrist. I am, he said, wearing this chain because I share Israel's hope. We have had no letters about you from Judea, they replied, and no brother has come here with any bad report or story about you. We think it only right to let you tell your own story. But, as regards this sect of yours, we are well aware that there are objections to it on all hands. Any letters that may have been written from Jerusalem to Rome about Paul may have gone down with the ship from Myra on the Malta coast. As there was not time to carry on any full discussion then and there, they arranged to come one morning and spend all day in discussion with Paul. They fixed the day and came to his quarters in large numbers. Paul explained what the reign of God meant and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were quite convinced by what Paul said, others argued. All day they talked, 
with intervals when they would take some dried fruit and bread together. At last the day was gone and the stars came out, but still they could not agree among themselves. Paul was weary and felt disappointed that here again the most difficult task was in dealing with the Jews themselves. As they were moving to leave the house, he broke out into one last word. It was an apt word, he said, that the Holy Spirit spoke by the prophet Isaiah to your fathers, when he said, Go and tell this people, you will hear and hear but never understand, you will see and see and never perceive. For the heart of this people is obtuse, their ears are heavy of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they understand with their heart and turn again, and I cure them. Be sure of this, he went on, that this salvation of God has been sent to the nations. They, and his free hand pointed across Rome, they will listen to it. So the Jews went out, and Paul turned toward the men of many nations who lived in Rome, the men whom he saw as he walked in the streets and crossed the bridges and trod the forum with his guard. As he walked from his house, Paul saw here a gang of slaves lurching along to lay bricks in a new building which Nero was placing on the side of the Palatine Hill. There a Greek merchant from Corinth hurrying by, his mind full of the prices of fruit which he had just landed at the wharves. As he crossed the bridge, Paul saw, by the Tiber, the ship porters, Negroes, Gauls, Britons, Belgians, Spaniards, running with bare feet to and fro across the gangways from the ships to the warehouses, with boxes of spices, dates, and raisins, crates of early oranges, jars of wine, sacks of wheat, marble slabs, cheeses, silks, the produce of the East and West all brought to the hub of the world. He went through many narrow streets where the houses were huddled together and built of wood on brick foundations. In a corner he would see young fellows throwing dice, their eyes feverishly glaring at the tiny squares as they laid their stakes, heedless of the throngs of people who lingered or hastened by. As Paul neared the Palatine Hill, on which the gorgeous palaces of the Emperor Nero stood, he would see here a Roman noble on his horse, there a swaying litter carried on the shoulders of slaves, and as the breeze caught the silken curtains of the litter and blew them aside, Paul would see the proud face and rich auburn hair of a high-born Roman lady. Passing round the side of the Palatine Hill, Paul's eyes looked down the splendid pavements of the Forum, the greatest glory of Rome, with its forest of gleaming columns, its mighty arches on which the story of the victories of the armies of Rome was carved, its cool colonnades whose marbles shimmered in the reflected light from the splashing fountains. Among the columns under the portico of a temple he would see groups of men discussing the rebellion of a distant frontier tribe, or the newest lecture by Seneca. Farther on in the forum he would see some young dandies of Rome lounging and discussing the latest scandal about the wild young emperor, while others gathered round some carved lines on the steps on which they were following a gambling game. Beyond these again on his right, Paul saw a cloistered place within which was a beautiful pool of water, and beside the cloister stood a circular temple from the center of whose pointed roof a thin trail of smoke rose and lazily drifted away. These lovely buildings were the temple and cloisters of the Vestal Virgins, who tended the sacred fire which burned perpetually through the centuries. In that same forum he saw a pillar like a shaft of sunshine. It was covered entirely with gold. 
From that pillar, along the arrow straight Roman roads, men measured their distance from Rome. Whether they lived in Damascus or Chester, on the Nile or the Euphrates, the Danube or the Seine, or dwelt at the pillars of Hercules or upon the shores of the Hellespont, it was in this Rome of golden palaces and festering slums, of free bread and circuses, gladiator fights and wild beast shows, this imperial eternal city whose strong rule, sometimes tyrannous but generally just, made the whole Mediterranean its lake, that Paul lived out his days for two years, unmolested and unhindered, as he spoke and wrote in his home or among the soldiers. The months went by, but Paul's trial was not held. The distance to Jerusalem and Caesarea for getting evidence was great, and in any case the law moved slowly. Paul's name went through the city. Men and women came to him from the very house of Caesar himself to learn of the way. But there also came to him the common people, and slaves. They were all equal before him. Beside the Romans and the slaves whom he saw, Paul had about him some of his best friends, Luke and Aristarchus, who had come with him from Caesarea, Timothy, who had rejoined him from the shores of the Aegean, John Mark, from whom he had parted so many years before, and who was now a close friend, Epaphras, a fellow prisoner, and new friends like young Demas. One day Paul was delighted, as the door of his house was darkened by the entrance of a man, to look into the face of his old friend Epaphroditus. He had come right along the Agnatian Way from Philippi, across the Adriatic Sea from Dyrrachium to Brundisium, and thence along the Appian Way to Rome. Epaphroditus carried with him a bag with a gift from the friends in Philippi to Paul, who was full of joy, not only at seeing his friend and receiving the gift, but at knowing that the brothers in Philippi, so far from forgetting him, still loved him and longed to see him. But Epaphroditus fell ill in Rome, so that Paul was afraid that he would die. However, he recovered. And Paul, when Epaphroditus was well, began to dictate a letter to the people at Philippi, which Timothy sat and wrote out with his reed pen on the long roll of papyrus. Through the whole praetorian guard, said Paul, and everywhere else it is recognized that I am a prisoner on account of my connection with Christ. The outcome of all this I know will be my release. My eager desire and hope is that I may never feel ashamed, but that now, as ever, I may do honor to Christ in my own person by fearless courage. Stand firm in a common spirit, fighting side by side like one man for the faith of the gospel. Never be scared for a second by your opponents. Then he talks to them about Epaphroditus, who is going to carry this letter back to Philippi. Epaphroditus is my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger to meet my wants, writes Paul. I think it necessary to send him at once, for he has been yearning for you all. He has been greatly concerned because you heard he was ill, and he was ill, nearly dead with illness. So I am especially eager to send him, that you may be glad when you see him again. Value men like that, for he nearly died in the service of Christ by risking his life to get to me. And he ends up the letter, The brothers beside me salute you. All the saints salute you, especially those of the imperial household. So though Paul was chained, the fetters could not tether his free spirit. 
he sent across the seas to the men whom he loved words that no executioner could kill and no persecution stamp out his pen was mightier than even rome's sword paul greatly wished to help his old friends across the aegean sea in ephesus as well as those whom he had never seen up the lycus valley at colossi and at laodicea so he dictated letters to those two places also possibly even before that to the church of philippi the letters were alike in some parts but other parts were different so that the words would help the people who read them in their special difficulties he also sent to a friend in colossi one of the most beautiful and human as well as humorous letters that he ever wrote it was to plead for a young runaway slave who had come to paul onesimus had run away from his master philemon of colossi he had stolen some of his master's goods when onesimus reached rome by some strange circumstance he met paul his whole life was changed paul led the slave onesimus into a wonderful freedom the liberty of the reign of god which jesus christ came to bring he now felt sure that he ought to go back and ask his master's forgiveness yet he trembled at the idea for philemon would have the power and the right even to break his legs as a punishment it was decided that onesimus was to go back to his master and take his chance paul fortunately knew philemon of colossi as one of the men who had become a christian so he wrote to him as paul the old man who nowadays is a prisoner for jesus christ i appeal to you on behalf of my spiritual son born while i was in prison it is onesimus once you found him a worthless character but nowadays he is worth something to you and to me i am sending him back to you and parting with my very heart perhaps this was why you and he were parted for a while that you might get him back for good no longer a mere slave but something more than a slave a beloved brother especially dear to me but how much more to you as a man and as a christian if he has cheated you of any money or owes you any sum put that down to my account at this point paul took the reed from the hand of timothy who was writing the letter and wrote down this is my own handwriting i paul promise to refund it this made it a legally binding document but he goes on not to mention that you owe me over and above your very soul so paul pleads for poor onesimus who in company with tychicus is to go across the seas back to colossi paul himself was hoping to be freed soon for he writes at the end of the letter to philemon get quarters ready for me for i am hoping that by your prayers i shall be restored to you at last all these letters for the lycus valley were written and signed rolled up and sewn for safety into their canvas cases paul's friend tychicus proud to be chosen for the difficult and glorious task of carrying the words of the apostle across the seas had his wallet full of food his bottle hanging by his side and in his pouch the passage money for the ships with onesimus beside him tychicus would kneel for the blessing of paul and a last prayer for their journeying they then left the house for their pilgrimage as they turned to take their last look at paul he would wave a hand to them and as he did so they saw the glint of the fetter that bound him a prisoner of nero an heroic ambassador in chains tychicus and onesimus descending the aventine hill passed the circus maximus took the right branch where the ways forked leaving the latin way on their left 
they went striding down the appian way and up the hill then along the leagues of splendid road with the aqueduct on their left the glorious purple alban mount ahead and the clear sharpness of the morning like wine in their veins refusing the putioli road on their right they sped along the way that led to brundisium whence a ship would bear them across the adriatic down the sparkling corinth gulf and again from Sancria past athens and over the sea of islands to ephesus so they passed on leaving maybe one letter at ephesus and bearing the other precious rolls on up the lycus valley to colossi as trembling onesimus stood with bowed head in the marble courtyard while his master philemon and the gentle lady Aphia read the letter from paul the faces of the master and mistress would grow less stern toward their runaway slave they would forgive him because he was indeed sorry and had of his free will come back to serve them he was no longer the sullen slave who did not live up to the meaning of his name onesimus but the glad slave of christ and therefore a happy servant to his master a real helpful at last as tychicus went out smiling with joy at this happy picture that he would have to tell paul about when he returned he would grasp the remaining colossi roll and go down to deliver it to the elders of the church it would be read aloud in one of the homes where the brothers met perhaps in that of philemon himself they would hear the straight strong words of paul away with anger rage malice slander foul talk tell no lies to one another you have stripped off the old nature with its behavior and put on the new nature which is renewed in the likeness of its creator for the knowledge of him in it there is no room for greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or freeman christ is everything and everywhere they would need to remember that last sentence when they heard paul's words saying that the runaway slave onesimus was one of themselves tychicus that beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow-servant in the lord will give you all information about me paul wrote the reason why i am sending him to you is that he may find out how you are and encourage your hearts he is accompanied by that faithful and beloved brother onesimus who is one of yourselves they will tell you of all that goes on here in rome tychicus would tell them how paul lived in rome a prisoner chained to a soldier yet still the great radiant heroic paul then they would crowd round tychicus to see the words at the end of the scroll in a different handwriting this salutation is in my own hand from paul remember i am in prison grace be with you end of chapter thirty six epilogue more than conqueror remember i am in prison the rest of paul's life is a silence and his death is darkness where the whispers and the swift gleams of light only make the silence deeper and the darkness more impenetrable. We know that as the shadows deepened the dauntless hero became more and more lonely, a solitary heroic figure in the darkness before the dawn. Paul's friends left him. Demas, the young companion who promised so finely, had seen the glitter and the pomp of the world, and could not see the glory of the chained hero so demas paul sadly wrote in his love for this world has deserted me and gone to thessalonica one friend crescens was sent on an errand to gaul titus had crossed the adriatic to dalmatia 
Only Luke, the loved physician, still stood at Paul's side. They were comrades to the end. What happened in the darkness? Was Paul tried and declared innocent, set free for a little while to go out again on the highway of his adventure for God, only to come back to face more dreadful charges under the judgment of that monstrous creature Nero? Or was he condemned at the end of the two years named in Acts? In any case the time came when, as an ancient tradition that bears upon it the stamp of truth declares, he walked out with firm step along the path of death to the place of the three fountains, and there laid his head upon the block, while the sword of the Roman executioner ended that dauntless life. Silence and dense darkness are over it all. Yet out of the prison, out of the silence and the darkness, comes a voice. It is the voice of the hero who, trembling and astonished, had long years before laid down the flail of the persecutor at the feet of his risen lord on the road to Damascus, and had in that hour began to run the course of his great adventure, a course that had carried him up the steep ascent over mountain pass and by robber den, under blazing sun and through blinding blizzard, traveling on in peril from city to city across the empire, often without food and in rags, laboring with his own hands, tossed on the sea and shipwrecked, stoned by the Jews, beaten with Roman rods and torn with scourges, chained, imprisoned, and at last led out to his death, yet unafraid to the end. And that valiant voice out of the darkness rings triumphantly across the centuries, I have fought the good fight, I have run my course, I have kept the faith. Nor did Paul carry his secret away with him. He throws open the door and reveals the hidden source of all his strength and courage, for he says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am certain, neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, no powers of the height or of the depth, nor anything else in all creation, will ever be able to part us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. End of Epilogue End of Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews